Well, I'm going to jump right in. Oh, first, the kids can be dismissed. I think they always just walk out when I stand up here. They know that I'm very delinquent in remembering to dismiss them. Uh, so I'm going to jump right in this morning because, as uh, usual, we have a lot of scriptures I want to take a look at. The The topic this morning that I felt uh, I wanted to bring and that the Lord might want me to bring, I, I honestly feel somewhat inadequate to bring this this topic. And the topic is uh, God's sustaining power. And I just often feel like I'm really not the one to bring this because there's so many more, so many other people in in this, uh, in the body of Christ, but in this body, in this church, who can speak to this topic much better because they've been through so much more than I've been through. Um, but <clears throat> regardless, it's a truth that is uh, precious, and I think we should reflect on it uh, often, because as you may know already, this world um, is not the easiest to live in. And so God's sust- sustaining power is um, very important for us, and we are uh, often almost always in need of it. <clears throat> so I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to start with something I don't hardly ever do, but I liked uh, how Kevin started with a uh, a video. I actually got a video clip, but before I uh, do the clip, I'm going to read a, just a short passage of Scripture. <clears throat> this is um, this is about Paul, and this, the clip that we're going to watch is about Paul as well, uh, and it's just a, you know, just a rendering of what may have happened uh, in his last days. But before we watch that, I just wanted to read this passage of Scripture to you. I don't have this uh, on the slide, so I'm just going to read it. So this is Paul describing a little bit of his his life and his um, troubles and, and hardships that he's uh, had to go through, he and some of the others. So I just want to read it. It's out of uh, 2 Corinthians. It's chapter 11, if you want to follow along, starting... In verse 23, we'll go through verse 28. Paul says, actually I'm going to start with uh, halfway down in verse 33. He says, um, talking about himself, he says, with far greater labors for more, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. So this is Paul describing some of the hardships he's gone through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift, adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 
and apart from the and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. <clears throat> this video clip that I'm going to show is just a um, a film on Apostle Paul. I've never I've not even seen the film. I just happened to see the. Uh, find this, and I wanted to show just a good example of God's sustaining power. And what this film, this clip is actually <clears throat> at the end of Paul's life. And so we know from uh, not Scripture how he died, but from other uh, reputable sources, um, uh, biblical, uh, our, forth, our, father, our church fathers who wrote down Tertullian, uh, some of the others who wrote down how Paul died and said that he um, it was beheaded at the end. He was martyred for Christ. And so um, that's what we have to go by. So this is a just a, uh, a an imagination of what it might have been like there at the end for him. Uh, so I just want to watch it. It's actually a four-minute clip. It's, gonna, uh, it's a little bit long, so we're just going to watch it, and then we're going to jump right in. So go ahead and cue the video. So Timothy, my dear son... Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race.
grace be with you all. Well, that's a that was a tough one to watch for me. I was tears going down my face when I watched that the first time. It's a uh, it's just a you know someone's uh, imagination of what it might have been like in the end. But we know from Scripture a lot of the hardships that Paul went through. Yet God sustained him to the very end, and you heard him say, as he does write uh, in Timothy, that he um, his. Life was coming to an end. He was pouring himself out as a drink offering. He was, he had kept the faith. And what, what that's all about is God's sustaining power and his ability to keep those who belong to him, those who have covenanted with him. God is able to keep them. He's able to sustain them. And it's an incredible thing, and, and it, you know, in a way, watching something like that, thinking about Paul, thinking about, uh, you didn't know because you didn't watch all of it, but some of those people at the end, when he had gone uh, to, to heaven, if you will, and the people were coming, those were some of the other martyrs from uh, the movie who had been martyred. And when you think about the many who have gone before us, the many who in, in that time gave their lives as, as drink offerings, who had been martyred for the gospel's sake, for Christ. And then you think about our lives and how good and easy we have it in, comp- you know, in comparison to that. But, but we, we don't need to think of it as, oh, you know, I need, to, I need to not. I mean, in a way, yes, think about that and help keep everything in perspective. But actually, God is very interested in every trial and tribulation and difficulty that you go through. Every one of them. And he wants to actually be there with you in them and to strengthen you, to strengthen us. And that is part of his promise. That is part of his uh, commitment in this covenant and his faithfulness and his part that he plays in this covenant is that he will sustain us through all of the, the trouble, all of the difficulties that we go through. 
if we remain in his care. So what I want to talk about first is just why is there a need? Because I think it's hard uh, to really understand the, the wonderful gift and the wonderful faithfulness of our Lord in this if we don't first understand why there's, there's even a need for it. And you know, and when we, unfortunately, we have a tendency to always talk about salvation in a past tense. And I've mentioned this before, um, and I think it, it's, it, that is correct, it is in a past tense, but if you really look at Scripture and study any time salvation is mentioned, there are far more mentions of salvation in the future than in the past. Actually, the, the numbers is staggering. I have an ongoing note, uh, notes that I'm making as I go, you know, read through the Bible. There's different topics that I might make notes on. This is one of them, is just how many times is salvation mentioned as being a past event? How many times is it mentioned as a present event? How many times is it mentioned as a future event? And it is far more prominent that it's mentioned as a future event event in scripture. So I think that uh, we've done a, a little bit of an injustice by focusing so much on salvation as a past event and not adhering more to the biblical um, emphasis of salvation as a future event. Because I do think that this will, by doing so, it will actually help us in this current life now as we live it, to be focused on what's ahead and to be focused on the goal, uh, as Paul put it, on the race and getting to the end and, and keeping that faith and remaining faithful all the way to the end. And even our Lord Jesus Christ uh, describes it uh, in this way. If you take a look at Matthew, I'm sorry, let me get this on here. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, meaning enter into the kingdom of God. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Um, there Jesus is talking about that, you know, this, uh, this, is a, this is a future thing that we are entering into this gate and then we are on a path that leads to this end. And he says a little later in Matthew in chapter 10, verse 22, he says, and you, talking to his disciples, and you will be hated by all, of my, by, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And oftentimes, you see him referring to uh, this future event, as you do the, the New Testament writers as well. It's, it's, uh, if anyone's interested in, in the notes that I've accumulated so far of just the different tenses of salvation, um, you can let me know after the service. I'll be glad to share it with you. But it's a good thing for us to pay attention to that, and it's a good thing for us to actually begin to reflect the same thing Scripture reflects in how we emphasize salvation. And I think if we can be focused not only on it as a, a past event where we start 
this process of salvation, not only as a present event that it's happening to us currently, but also as a future event that we are, we are focused on, striving towards, working out that salvation. We are keeping the faith as God is keeping us and sustaining us all the way to the end where that salvation will be brought to fullness. So why is this um, sustaining power necessary? Well, to, to really take a, a good, to get a good understanding of this, we simply need to look at the, the issue of sin and um, basically our rebelliousness towards God and our rebellious nature. We, we, just, we have this nature of being rebellious and being tempted towards the forbidden. And we see it from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Uh, in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So there's a a great example from the very get-go of this temptation that we have, not only uh, to um, towards something that is forbidden, that is alluring to us, tempting to us, but also this temptation to be independent from God, to not have to be dependent on Him. That is the essence of rebellion, is to not be dependent on God. And we see this carried out with their children, the story of uh, Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, starting in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted, accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desire, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So even with God's warning to Cain about sin, crouching at his door, encouraging him to rule over it, subdue it, even still Cain went on to create this, uh, to, to um, do this horrendous crime uh, and, and murder his brother. So it is our sins that have separated us 
from God from the very beginning. In Isaiah 59, it says this, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. That makes it pretty clear of what, the, what separates us from the Lord. And it's our, uh, it's our sins that have been against a holy God. And those sins cannot go unpunished unless confession and atonement is made. And the only atonement acceptable, acceptable to God is the blood of a blameless sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And you know the verse that says, The wages of sin is death. And that is God's unchanging uh, rule. We also know, besides sin, that the devil is real. Satan is real. And Scripture describes him as a, uh, a lion, a roaring lion that's seeking someone to devour. First Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Satan and his demonic forces are very real. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we do not wrestle. This is Paul speaking. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. We're not talking earthly here. Against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul makes it clear that this This is Satan's kingdom that comes against us. It's in the unseen world. And this is real. This is a reality. And if you consider um, every instance of demonic oppression in in Scripture, in the New Testament especially, Jesus was very often dealing with demonic spirits that have been oppressing people. And if you consider the reality of that throughout history, even to today, the reality of demonic oppression is very real. And sometimes uh, in our American church and Western churches, we tend to, you know, kind of close our eyes to that or just um, prefer to believe that that's not really a reality. But when you start to minister in those areas, Uh, Pam and I spent three years in England learning more about the ministry of deliverance. Um, And we have seen things that, you know, very much line up with what we see in the New Testament. And it's not relegated to just Jesus's day. It's very real today. So these things are real. These things are... um, Things that we are dealing with, the sin, Satan, his kingdom coming against us. And not only that, but in this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. In John 16, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
in the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you just look at the news, and I have to be careful about doing that too often. I'll do it for a stint, and then I'm just like, oh, that's enough. It is so depressing. But if you look at the news for any length of time, read it, watch it, whatever, you will see a very good glimpse of the reality of the troubles in the world. You will see that uh, the pain, the heartache, the suffering that exists in the world, very, very real. Some of us have experienced it much more than others. Um, But most of us, if you've lived life long enough, have experienced the realities of it, or at least have a loved one who has. And in the midst of these types of troubles in our lives, disappointment, discouragement, and even despair can easily take root in our lives if we're not careful. These are realities for all of us. So there's three things just in and of themselves that are the biggest things that we have to contend with that really the only way to get through these things is to have a higher power, to have God and his sustaining power. And when scripture refers to God's sustaining power, it's, it's, it describes it as us being in his power, as a, as a way of him guarding us. Now, just to look at some of the, the good news And this is, first we have to look at the bad news to understand why the good news is good. And so that's just a glimpse of of some of the bad news, especially that of sin and how it separates us from God. So concerning sin, the good news is God loved mankind so much that he, he made a way to be reconciled with him. He made a way for the atonement for our sins to be made and for our sins to be forgiven. And we see this good news come onto the, the scene in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oftentimes, we think of Jesus as being the one who will save us from hell. No, he's not. he didn't come to save us from hell. He came to save us from our sins. Hell was not even made for us. It was made for Satan. But because of sin, we needed a Savior. Because of sin, God had to make a way for us to be reconciled. And the blood of this atoning sacrifice of what we know that Jesus will, will give later was better than any previous sacrifice. And so it only had to be offered, as Scripture says, once for all time. And Jesus was that sacrifice. It was his blood that brought atonement and made a way for our sins to be forgiven. This was the announcement of why he came. And then you, we know the story of how he made himself that. And in, in Hebrews, he describes Jesus as being this, uh, not only the, the sacrifice, the one whose blood is being shed, but also the priest who is the mediator of this new covenant. And it says in chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, but when Christ appeared 
as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. It's a beautiful description of what this new covenant is all about and and the fact that Jesus Christ came to offer his own self, his own body, shed his own blood, and to, to not take his blood into the earthly temple that had to be repeated year after year and administered by the priest, but to walk into the actual temple of which the earthly temple was modeled, a shadow of what was in heaven. Jesus walked into that temple in heaven and presented himself and his blood to the Father. And that was enough to secure redemption for his people forever. That sacrifice did not have to be made again. It was the final sacrifice. And that's what's so incredible about this uh, gift of Jesus Christ and what he did laying his life down for us. And Hebrews does a great job of laying that out, that not only is Jesus the one who brought his own blood as the sacrifice, but he is also the priest who administers, who, who mediates this covenant between God and us. He is the one that not only mediates the covenant, but he is the one that is interceding for us. He's interceding on our behalf in that temple. He sits by the right hand of God and he and he mediates and he intercedes for us. So that's very, very good news. Paul states that we are slaves of whatever we obey. Now, the, great, the good news of concerning sin and concerning what Jesus has done is he has actually set us free from being enslaved to sin. Just as God said and instructed Cain that sin is always crouching at our door, and that's going to be the, the case for the rest of our journey on this earth, sin will be crouching, waiting, tempting us, waiting to pounce on us, wanting to control us. And it's God's sustaining power that, power that we need to help us to remain free. Paul states that we are slaves of whatever we obey. In Romans 6, 16, he says, don't you realize that you become the slave 
of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So Christ has made freedom available to us, freedom from the enslavement to sin. But we still have a choice. We can obey sin and become enslaved to it. But we don't have to because of what Christ has done. We can obey God now, and we can live righteously and be walking in freedom from sin. Now, concerning the devil, Satan and his demonic forces are real, but we can also become aware of his schemes and tactics to better defend against them. In Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, often we look at this verse and we think, you know, you know, these, this metaphor and these analogies, and, but actually there's a reality to this. The reality is Satan is real. The reality is the kingdom of darkness is real. His kingdom, his armies are real. And they are coming against the church, God's people. And this is Paul saying, look, there's a reality to that, but there's also a reality to how we can stand against it and what's available to us and that we can be aware of his schemes and stand against them. And although the devil's looking to devour us, Peter, in his letter, tells us that we can resist him and stand firm in our faith. James urges us to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, and he says that he will flee from you. These are realities. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in, in 2 Thessalonians 3 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. I love the Lord's prayer, and sometimes uh, I feel like we need to pay more attention to what Jesus is telling us to pray when it says to um, lead us not into temptation. We're asking the Lord to not allow us to go, to be led into temptation and to deliver us from the evil one. Some, some translations leave off the one, and some of the, a lot of times in the prayers we've left off that little word, one, and we just say, deliver us from evil. No, it's deliver us from the evil one. It's talking about Satan. Jesus, in teaching us to pray, is also emphasizing the reality of his existence, Satan's existence. Now, Satan is not omnipresent. He's, he can't be everywhere at one time like Jesus can, like God can, but he is real, and his armies are real. And so Jesus makes it clear as we pray, we should pray for deliverance from the evil one. Now, concerning trouble, as we read, Jesus said there will be trouble in this world. Again, in John 16, we looked at it earlier, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have 
peace. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So despite the trouble that is all around us, despite the trouble, the troubles we have in our lives that we're going through, that we have gone through perhaps, that we will go through, Jesus says that we can have peace. And this is one of the really peculiar things about followers of Christ in the midst of trouble, of tribulation, of very difficult situations that normally would be painful, that would cause heartache and grief and discouragement and disappointment and despair even, we actually can have peace. We have access to something that the rest of the world does not because of Christ. Because of Him, we can have peace. We can be in Him, and His peace can be in us when we are going through these things. So Jesus says, take heart. In Psalm 55.22, the psalmist writes, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. We are invited to cast our burdens upon Him. We are not... We are not required to carry them ourselves. We can cast them onto the Lord, onto God our Father, onto our Lord Jesus Christ, and He will sustain us. That is a promise. And He will never permit us to be moved or to stumble and fall. And He gives comfort when we're experiencing affliction. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. Let me start that over. Who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which God, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That's a beautiful, beautiful passage there that promises us that in our afflictions, God wants to bring comfort. Comfort as in with with strength. He wants to bring strength to us. And he promises that he will do that. And not only that, but through it, through that experience, through that experiencing God's comfort during our afflictions, we will then be able to help others who are going through afflictions as well. We will be able to provide comfort for them and to point them to the one who provides comfort. So I think it's a beautiful thing that God wants us to be able to use that to help others as well. There are four things I wanted to point out that I think are worth noting, and these are characteristics that God has warned us about. 
that we should not have in our lives. And these are, these are the type of things that s- separate us from God and become a hindrance and barrier to his sustaining power for us. The first one is rebellion. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because he's talking to King Saul and because of his disobedience, and Samuel says, so because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Throughout the Bible, rebellion is, is what separates people from God. It is what creates the riff. It is a sinful act of willful disobedience towards God. We cannot allow rebellion to to be in our lives. Now, for us Americans, that's a hard thing because our country was birthed out of rebellion. But we don't see that as a bad thing, and I'm not saying that we should, but I'm saying that in all of us, we do have this rebellious nature. And this rebellious nature easily comes out of us towards God as well. And that's where it becomes a big problem. Rebellion is something that God detests. He sees it as as being as sinful as witchcraft. And so we should be very alert and careful to identify when rebellion has taken root in our lives. And sometimes this happens very early on, especially for us here in America. Rebellion is um, almost lifted up and glorified in this country. But that is not God's way. The other is pride. And these next two that I'm going to talk about, pride and the next one is judgmentalism. These are are very important. When we read these, you're going to see this is what the Pharisees, this is what this is, these are the characteristics of the Pharisees. And if you, if you know Jesus' time here on earth, he, was, he, he had the most words for the Pharisees. And it's because of these characteristics that they, that they held. Regarding pride in James 4, 6, James writes, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is something that God actually opposes. Other translations say resists. God will actually resist. He will actually give you the stiff arm treatment if there is pride coming out of us. So pride is something that the Pharisees definitely had and something that we cannot allow into our lives because it brings opposition from God himself. In Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, it says, this is, this is Jesus giving a parable. And, and it says this, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, Jesus now narrates and explains this. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, this is not only very important that we not allow uh, pride in our lives because of God's opposition to it, but not only that, that, if we don't humble ourselves, God gives us the opportunity to humble ourselves. He actually encourages us and commands us to humble ourselves first. But if we don't, because he is a loving father who disciplines his children, he will then humble us. And he will do that not even to his own children. He does not like pride. And so if we do not want to be humbled by God, and I do not want to be humbled by God, we need to stay in a place of humility. And when pride raises its ugly head in our lives, we have got to cut it off and deal with it. The other is judgmentalism. In Luke 6.37, Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I mean, that's really clear. And so if we pay attention to what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you don't want to be judged for the things that you have done, do not judge others for what they have done. If you do not want to be condemned for what you have done, do not condemn others. And this, this is repeated several times, not only by Jesus, but throughout Scripture. There's this, uh, there's this theme of, of mercy and grace towards other people. And this is, and look, I'm, I have been guilty of this. Being a, a kind of a black and white person like I am, uh, I have been guilty of judging other people. In condemning them. In my mind, it may not have been necessarily verbally, but I have been guilty of this. Places like this in my Bible, I write, pay attention, David Cannon, exclamation point. No, seriously. Usually I'm writing for the sake of my kids. You know, one day maybe they'll be reading my notes. But when it comes to things like that, I'm like, David Cannon, pay attention to this. And some of you, some of you, this may not be a problem, but for some of you wired like me, This is something that we really need to pay attention to and be careful about because it's very clear this is not what you want. You don't want God judging us and condemning us because we're doing that to others. And another passage in James 4, verses 10 through 12, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, 
but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Listen, church, if we can just get that into our minds, into our hearts, that we really have no place to be judging one another, we will be in a much safer place when we do that. Because then God's mercy and grace can flow to us. His forgiveness towards us can flow to us. The last one is regarding forgiveness. In Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It just cannot be more clear. So let's, let's work on getting rid of this judgmentalism and condemnation towards others. That is not what Jesus is calling us to do. There are times where we speak out against wickedness and sin, and there are times when we have to admonish a brother or sister, but we do it in love. We do it in a way that we are careful that it's not judging or condemning because it's going to bring that back on us. So we must do it in a way that is very loving, very uh, very much extending mercy and grace. And I think that we can get to, to where we do that well. <clears throat> well, I want to wrap this up. I want to mention conduits. Uh, I called it conduits of uh, God's sustaining power. And it's this right here. And you can maybe get these later on the, on the YouTube video, but I've got, I got some passages of scripture that help kind of um, support this, but conduits of God's sustaining power would be God's word, prayer, encouragement, that meaning encouragement from others, you know, and you encouraging others, thanksgiving towards God, the body of Christ, meaning being with a body of Christ like we are here right now to, to be able to encourage one another, to build each other up, the body of Christ. Gifts of the Spirit, you can read the passage there. Gifts of the Spirit are, are for the purpose of building up the church. Paul talks about this. He talks about um, prophecy being used to, to build up the church. We test it. We make sure it's of God. But the purpose of it is for building up the church. He talks about speaking in tongues. He talks about speaking in tongues as being a way of building yourself up. And if you have someone who can interpret tongues, then it's a way to build the church up. But gifts of the Spirit are ways that God has given to His church uh, to be able to build each other up. It's to be able to help sustain us through the troubles and the difficulties in life. So these are uh, passages that you can look up later to, to read more about that. God will finish the work that he started in you. And this is promised again and again. In 1 Corinthians it says, So that you are not lacking in any gift 
as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And finally, in 1 Peter 5.10, it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Can we all say amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these reminders of your incredible sustaining power. God, without it, this... uh, difficult way, this narrow gate and difficult way to your kingdom would be so impossible. But God, you have made a way for us. You have allowed your sustaining power to be available to us through your son, Jesus Christ, because of what he did. The atonement has been made. Our sins can be forgiven. And when we stumble and fall into sin again, we are able to come to you, confess these sins to you, and you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from them. And Father, not only that, but you have made available to us the power that you have to sustain us. When we are in Christ, Christ is in us and his spirit dwells in us, giving us the power to live and follow you, follow Jesus Christ, walk as he walked. You have given us a way for our hearts to be circumcised so that we have a desire to do it and we have the power to do it. Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for providing sustaining power to us so that you will be faithful to finish what you started in us. Thank you, God. We do not know how to get there, but you have made a way and you will make sure that we remain on it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart I want to see